when the leader of your country is in self-quarantine, it sort of drives the point home that there's something going on. These are moments where consumers do go out, they look for alternatives that they think can get them through the short term, but in some cases, those alternatives may change their behavior over the long term. What are you advising companies to do at a time like this? You can use this time to reinvent how you do what you do, to bring consumers new value, and in the process, potentially even reinvent your own brand. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to a special episode of the Be Off podcast. With the world bracing for the coronavirus crisis as it spreads around the world, we've seen hotspots in China, Iran, and now currently in Italy. It has become clear that this is going to be a time unlike any other in the kind of modern era of the luxury industry. And so we're dedicating this episode and future episodes to talk to some of our most trusted experts from the BOF community to help us navigate what's happening, help us understand what we need to do to be ready for the changes that are inevitably about to happen as we all start working from home, as consumer behavior starts to shift, and as the industry braces for a huge global recession. This week, I sit down with Doug Stevens, also known as the Retail Prophet. Doug's columns are amongst some of the most popular columns on BOF. I wanted to talk to him this week about how the coronavirus crisis might shift consumer behavior. So here's Doug Stevens, Inside Fashion. Hello, Doug. Hi, Imran. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Very good. Thank you. You're joining us from Toronto today. Uh, what's the mood like over there at the moment? Um, it's uh, th There's definitely a very odd feeling in the air. Um, Many of the places that you know one normally frequents in the morning, whether it's a coffee shop or a restaurant, uh, you know, even even the roads, frankly, are just a lot less busy than usual. And um, there's definitely a uh, just this this sort of overarching feeling that there's something going on. You know, um, it's it's kind of weird, actually. I was thinking, you know, it's it's oddly like <clears throat> the feeling. Uh, I had after 9-11, you know, that that there's sort of uh, uh, a little bit of a state of shock. People aren't quite sure how to react. Uh, businesses are very much in a wait and see kind of posture. And so, yeah, it's a really weird feeling. We only have 160 cases here right now, but I was uh, I was just telling Yara that our uh, our prime minister is now in self-quarantine because his wife was uh, was diagnosed with the virus. So when the leader of your country is in self-quarantine, it sort of drives the point home that there's something going on. I mean, and it also makes it a more human story. I mean, yesterday, Tom Hanks revealed that he and his wife had somehow contracted the virus in Australia. It really just makes all of us understand that this is going to touch people everywhere. And there are no borders and there are no socioeconomic barriers for, you know, who, you know, famous people are going to get it, you know, every, people we know are going to get it. So it's like, I think it's really bringing that home. Oh, I agree. Yeah, the, the virus clearly doesn't discriminate. And, uh, and it's also something that, you know, for, uh, for once, uh, politicians can't just point to and say, well, it's fake news. 
it's not really happening. Don't believe your eyes and ears. You know, uh, the, 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 the virus doesn't, uh, uh, you know, it is clearly doesn't take sides and it's not political. And, and you're quite right. It's going to touch all of us in some way, shape or form. Well, just just an update on the state of affairs um, in the world right now, just so we can take stock. I mean, global sporting events have been canceled. You know, the NHL, the NBA, even the Premier League here in the UK, they've all kind of either canceled or postponed their seasons. Um, Italy has become a real flashpoint and our Italian friends are in, on, in our minds and in our hearts at this time because I think, you know, the situation there is extremely difficult at the moment. It's, you know, it's a new flashpoint in this global crisis, um, maybe where China was uh, a month or so ago. Um, and, 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 you know, as I mentioned, China, it seems from what I'm hearing uh, from our community in China, things are starting to slowly return to normal. People are feeling cautiously optimistic that, you know, as they go back to work, you know, things will start to tick over um, and people will start to return to normal life. I think there's a bit of a fear that, you know, you know now that everyone is going to be coming out of their quarantine that you know the virus could spread again so i think people mm -hmm. are very cautious and here in the uk you know we've all been told uh that if anyone has any symptoms of any kind you know regardless of whether they've traveled or not that people should isolate themselves for for seven days and stay home so you know it's it's what's interesting is like there's different way you know they're saying we're four weeks behind italy here Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess, you know, to see different parts of the world going through this in, in different stages, which, which kind of also leads me to the, the, the conversation I wanted to have with you, our retail profit, Doug, which is, you know, while, of course, this is a very important and, and critical human story. And there's a, you know, there's, there's a, you know, an element of this that's, you know, extremely, extremely challenging on a on a you know, on a human level there's also a, a big business story here which is you know how is all of this the changes in behavior the changes in the way people are feeling um and the changes in literally the way we're going to be leading our lives how is that all going to impact shopping and retail mm -hmm. and so i thought you were comparison to 9-11 was really interesting because many of us will recall, you know, we didn't really understand what was happening because it happened all of a sudden and it was so cataclysmic. In the UK, they're starting to refer to the Blitz as a time when the whole country had to come together to kind of combat a, a global crisis. So mm -hmm. you know, what do you think just simply at that most basic level, like how does all of this change and uncertainty impact the psychology around shopping? Uh, it, it is interesting. And, uh, and there really are, I think, a lot of parallels to 9-11, to sort of the, you know, the question of what, is consume, what happens to consumer behavior in the face of trauma, really. And um, I, I wrote a little bit about this in my last book, as, as a matter of fact, just sort of the, the effect of 9-11 on consumer activity. And, and what happened immediately uh, uh, following the attack was that consumers went into a cocooning behavior. Um, there was this um, uh, sort of need on the part of people to, uh, to, to sort of seclude themselves, 
uh, to spend more time in their homes, less time in public. Uh, there was a, a sort of a, a rush toward comfort food and cooking at home um, in, in, the, in that sort of behavior. And that sort of threatened in the aftermath of 9-11 to really take the wind out of the economy, to take the, the wind out of the sails of the economy. But then there was a reciprocal effect, which is referred to in, in psychological circles uh, as a secular immortality. In other words, uh, as much as consumers sort of recoil from consumerism, there's also this sort of brush with, with mortality that makes you really consider your life and and enjoying your life and and wanting some of the things maybe maybe saying why should i wait for things that i want in my life because i i am more mortal and i and i understand that now because i've sort of had this brush with with uh, catastrophe and so what we found after 9/11 was that consumers in fact did go out shopping um, and, and of course, George W. Bush was encouraging them to do so, but there was a huge spike in the purchasing of homes, cars, appliances, furniture, et cetera. And, uh, and it is attributed to this phenomenon, uh, which is termed secular immortality, this idea that I want to sort of collect things or, or have material possessions to prove that, that I'm alive. Um, what we're also seeing, Imran, is, is this this uh, panic in the market too. People rushing into places like Tesco and Costco and emptying the shelves of basic items. Um, Costco attributed, in fact, 3% of last quarter's revenue gain was directly attributable in their minds to the coronavirus and the panic around that. So the question on the other side will be, will those retailers also suffer as the virus spreads more and people are more concerned about going into uh, crowded public spaces. And at the same time, people are profiteering off this as well. I was just reading this morning that um, there was one Canadian couple that was, you know, going and buying cartons and cartons and cartons of uh, disinfectant wipes and reselling them on Amazon. They've made $100,000 already. So all kinds of strange behaviors, but uh, but remarkably similar in many ways to the, to the 9-11 effect. Yeah. How do you think, you know, that will evolve and change um, as this progresses though. So once the initial shock has kind of worn off and it settles in that this is potentially, and I guess in this way, this situation is different from 9-11 and, and so far as it's not like a single incident that kind of happened that we kind of all kind of re react and respond to. This is like this ongoing thing that's going to be playing out over the course of this year. You know, do you think that after it's settled in, basically, that people might just find other ways to engage with, you know, the things that they're interested in, whether that be, you know, you know, music or fashion or, you know, whatever it might be? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's a really good question. And I, I think that what happens in a time like this is that it, it forces consumers to explore their options. And so, you know, the question will be how many consumers now uh, that might have gone to a restaurant are discovering uh, home delivered food services? Uh, how many people uh, that might have gone to a movie theater uh, tonight are, are going to explore their streaming options? Uh, how many workers right now and companies are quickly putting together, you know, really good teleconferencing technologies or, or uh, 
you know, technologies that can replace conferences and, and uh, uh, alleviate the ne- necessity for travel. So, yeah, I think that what happens is these are moments where consumers do go out, they look for alternatives that they think can get them through the short term. But in some cases, those alternatives may change their behavior over the long term. Yeah, I mean, for me, one of the fundamental shifts that's happening already is this work from home kind of phenomenon where, you know, millions of people everywhere who would have normally gone to an office every day are going to be sitting, you know, behind their computer screens or their phones for much, much longer every day because they're going to be using that technology to keep in touch. And so I wonder how that kind of constant connectivity is going to um, impact behavior. Because on the one hand, it might be that, you know, after a day of staring at their computer screen all day, the last thing they want to do is go on an e-commerce site. Or it might be that because they're constantly in front of their screens now, maybe even more so than before, you know, I regularly walk around our office and see people, you know, with their uh, computer screens open and they'll be shopping, you know? So like maybe that shopping at work phenomenon thing will, will grow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you just sort of look at the, the aspects of the economy, I was sort of going through a, a kind of a list in my own head of, you know, where are we really going to see the damage here? Who are the winners and losers? Um, certainly, you know, with, with, uh, fears being what they are, the hospitality industry is just being lambasted right now. Um, you know, luxury, uh, we both know is, is getting crushed, um, both domestically within China and also in, in terms of the reduction in Chinese tourism. Um, we'll see what the supply chain effects are later this year, once, uh, once the effects of the virus sort of catch up to the manufacturing uh, cycle. The stock market, of course, has been just obliterated uh, just over the last few days. So high net worth individuals are, are sort of in a wait and see hover pattern. Um, big winners, pharmacy, grocery, bulk stores, uh, and of course, Amazon. Amazon, Alibaba, JD.com, they're they going to be certainly the beneficiaries of this. And a lot of that will be because people are, as you say, they're, they're kind of at their desks, whether that's at home or elsewhere, and they're you know sort of in, in front of a computer all day. So what do you do for entertainment? Well, yeah, jump on, jump online and shop. So yeah, this is going to have, I think, a deep and, and relatively long lasting effect on consumer behavior. We had some intel out of our BOF China team saying that there was a spike in purchases of athleisure because people were kind of dressing in comfort clothes at home because they were all at home all day. They weren't going out. Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of unexpected behavioral changes that I guess we're just going to have to observe. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I'm interested to, to get your opinion on this in terms of the luxury market um, and recognizing the dependency that many luxury brands built around the Chinese economy. What do you see as being the long-term fallout? I think it's really going to be hard to tell I think obviously a lot of it is going to depend on the the Chinese consumer that you mentioned. For me, you know, that's going to be the first place to watch, not just because they have such a huge impact on the luxury and fashion industry, but also because in a way they're the first wave of people that have gone through what is a very 
you know, as you called it, traumatic and unusual experience to, to go through. And so um, both because of the importance of the, the number of Chinese consumers, but also because of the, um, the fact that they were first to experience this, I think it'll be very interesting to watch. Some of the things I'm hearing um, now is that, you know, people are starting, as I said earlier, to go back a bit to normal. Mm. And I think that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be shopping up a storm, but at least, you know, life as it slowly returns to normal will become part of the um, process for slowly re-engaging with, you know, the things that um, people were doing before. And I also think that I've been hearing a lot about Chinese students as a, as a big um, phenomenon to watch because, you know, the students, there was one CEO of a luxury company that told me that, you know, some of the places where they started to see a fall off in the, the U.S. market was some of their stores that were located near universities where there were large Chinese populations. And um, that this, this Chinese consumer is like one really important thing to watch, I think, in terms of the overall long term fallout. As it pertains to the rest of the world, I feel like it's a bit too early to tell, really, because, you know, I know. You know, stores are closed in Italy at the moment, um, mm-hmm. except for essential, you know, grocery and chemists or pharmacists. They're still open, but all the other stores are were closed. So it's pretty clear that that's, you know, that's you know, hundred percent lost revenue for all, for all those stores. And I guess it just remains to be seen how long that continues in Italy, and if that same kind of action is needed in other important markets like New York or London or Paris, where there's also a lot of tourist traffic and shopping. So Mm -hmm. let's see. Yeah. And I guess the, I guess the, you know, the real outstanding unknown at this point is, do we get a follow on recession uh, as a consequence of this? And I think that raises then all kinds of questions around the the general health of of retailers out there and how many retailers, as as we speak today, can afford to go through um, potentially a, a two year recessionary period. Um, so I think you know, and especially in places like Italy, where the economy is already challenged, you know. So I, I think that there's there's sort of the the problem that we have on our doorstep at the moment, which is the virus and the effects of the virus and getting through this period of time, hopefully with as few losses of life as possible. But on the other side of this, you know, there's this question mark around the stability of the global economy as well. And, and uh, I think that's what, what the markets are really bracing for is, is what's on the other side of this. Yeah. And I think, you know, that kind of very nicely leads me to another topic I wanted to address with you, which is as you kind of surveil the general retail industry and the players, particularly in fashion, like which parts of that industry are likely to suffer the most? I mean, maybe let's start with the department stores in the US. So many of them are so highly leveraged and um, have already been finding challenge in the market. You know, Barney's, you know, recently, you know, shut down altogether. You know, where, where, where do you think some of the the kind of most vulnerable companies and and parts of the industry are and you know what what might we see as a result of that after this you know what's what seems to be a fairly certain global recession at this stage mm-hmm. um what how do you how do you think things are going to play out there 
Well, I think that this could be the final nail in the coffin uh, for uh, a lot of department store chains, for sure. Um, I, I mean, if, if you look at a chain like JCPenney, for example, I think it's it's fair to say that this is probably the death knell uh, for JCPenney. Um, in in the uh, uh, outside of JCPenney, of course, there's there's HBC, uh, Hudson's Bay Company, uh, which just went private. Richard Baker took that company private. Uh, my belief is that the uh, the need to go private or the desire to take the company private is not so that they can resurrect the company as a going concern in the retail market. My belief is that it's going to essentially see the liquidation of the company and the sell-off of, of real estate assets. Uh, in fact, I think that Baker is savvy enough to understand that if, if we do hit a recession, uh, that could absolutely tank the value of uh, of HBC's real estate assets, and so I think there's going to be a liquidation there. But generally speaking, you know, the department store channel never really figured itself out. You know, uh, in in the ten years or eleven years since the financial crisis, they never really reestablished any sense of value. You know, they never re reinvented their value for consumers, and they were sort of stuck in this no man's land between online and specialty. And I don't think that's going to get any better. Uh, especially if consumers are sort of attuned to this idea of avoiding crowds, you know, and avoiding spaces where people are, are gathering in numbers. So, um, you know, generally speaking, I think that uh, in the short term, all physical retail is going to suffer. In the longer term, I think that formats that were in danger before or, you know, kind of precariously positioned before are going to be uh, damaged severely, uh, especially if we hit a recession on the other side of this. And the big winner in all of it is going to be Amazon. And it really prompts the question, is this, is this Amazon's opportunity to really make a break in fashion, uh, something that they have struggled to do beyond basics? But is this potentially that window of opportunity where consumers are willing to try alternatives to going to that that store down the street or to that shopping center down around the block. Do you see any role for the physical store at a moment like this? So if, if everyone is going to be cocooning and nesting at home, like what role might physical stores play? You know, for, and that's one area where Amazon, you know, doesn't have an, a kind of advantage or presence. Like, so what mm -hmm. might some of these large, retailers that do have physical stores like how might how might they try to pivot this moment to find some kind of opportunity here yeah it's it's a good question i mean you know i'm a big believer in the idea that physical stores are uh are you know sort of a remarkable channel in the sense that they're great gathering points they're places where you can foster community with your customers wonderful places where you can host live events uh you know the their stages, not stores, in my in my opinion. Unfortunately, uh, that does not lend itself well to the time that we find ourselves in at the moment, because those are precisely the things that that consumers are being told not to do. And and so the question is is a valid one. What do you do with all those physical assets? I think what's interesting is you know I look at something like shop shops, uh, Alibaba's streaming uh, program, if you will, uh, where you know, people are literally going out, Alibaba staff are going out and they are uh, getting into little shops around the world and they're live streaming those experiences back to consumers in China who have the ability to actually buy those products during the live stream. I think things like that are, are a brilliant idea. You know, things that 
uh, can still make use of those physical assets, but you know there doesn't have they don't have to be consumers in those stores in order for uh, those stores to be live streamed and the products in those stores to be live streamed out to consumers that may be home and quarantined. You know, uh, it doesn't mean that commerce has to die. It just means we have to think differently about how we you know how we bring those products and offerings to consumers. So it could be a time of interesting reinvention, frankly, for a lot of retailers if they start to think creatively about it. And then, you know, I was thinking back to the uh, financial crisis of 2008. And, you know, one of the things that happened during that period was that, you know, luxury e-commerce, which was, you know, still somewhat fledgling as a kind of market opportunity and still not fully understood by the, the industry at large, you know, do you think there's a chance that this gives that part of the industry a big boost? Because, you know, frankly, people won't have any other choice. So assuming they do want to buy things, they will use those channels like uh, Net-A-Porte or Farfetch or Matches Fashion or My Teresa or any of these other big e-commerce, luxury e-commerce retailers. Do you think that they're going to see a big boost or do you think that's going to be outweighed by this kind of sense of wait and see doom and gloom that's kind of out there in the in the in the ether at the moment mm -hmm. it's a tough call uh, it really is on the one hand uh, you know again if it was if it was just the virus that we were dealing with um i would say yeah i mean i think consumers are, are definitely going to be looking to online marketplaces and platforms uh, in, in the luxury market uh, for, for purchases just like that. But we have this, this specter uh, of a market crash as well, which I, I, I get the sense anyway that there's going to be a lot of wait and see going on. You know, um, I mean, the market literally dropped, what was it, 20% over the last few days. The Dow was down 20%. So that's going to take a lot of people out of the luxury equation for a while. Anyway, um, sitting on the sidelines, sort of waiting to see where all of this goes. But I think, to your point, I think the real subtext here for the luxury market was, you know, we really need to get our online shit together. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, a lot of them have been sort of, uh, you know, demure about about being online and feeling that, you know, well, we don't want to overexpose. We don't want to make ourselves too accessible, which sounds great until something like this rolls around. And, you know, I guess the belief going forward is that this is, this is not, not likely to be the last pandemic that we see uh, as, as we crowd the world with more people and as we become more global and more mobile, uh, we are very likely to see more of these things happen. So I think it, it's a real call out to the luxury industry in particular that, hey guys, you know, I think it's time that we figure out our online game. Yeah, I think about a company like Chanel right now, right? So Chanel's one of the, holdouts mm -hmm. in in the luxury e-commerce space i mean they've done some exploration of selling beauty products online but you know they have held pretty steadfast to this idea that no like the chanel uh, consumer needs to buy those products in the store like what does a company like chanel with no e-commerce of any of its you know ready to wear and and accessories do at a time like this Mm. It's a good question, right? And and again, it sort of goes back to the idea of 
does this create an opportunity for Amazon to begin those conversations? Now, as crazy as that sounds, like Chanel, would Chanel ever sell on Amazon? But but you know that that that's precisely what Amazon wants. Amazon wants luxury brands. Um, does this open the door to Amazon maybe shifting its approach and and taking more of a T-Mall approach to its relationship with retailers and brands in that space? Does it give them more autonomy over their look and feel uh, online? Does it give them more access to data, which has always been a sticking point uh, with with Amazon? Uh, So basically what this does is it sort of melts um, it unfreezes a lot of those postures, you know, where you have a Chanel that's saying, no, we will never do this or that. You have Amazon saying, well, this is our approach and we're never going to bend from that. I think you're going to see a lot of that sort of unfreeze. And this, this is going to get very liquid for a while. And I think you will see brands, maybe not Chanel, but you're certainly going to see luxury brands rethinking this whole thing. Um, I mean, wouldn't, how many of them would love to be potentially selling tons of product right now online that that simply aren't. And to your point, you don't just snap your fingers and become an online player. Uh, you know, in, in some cases, you need a bridge to get there. And the bridge could be uh, an Alibaba, JD.com or, or an Amazon, God forbid. Yeah, I mean, the other potential winner, if, if some of these companies do melt away their resistance, um, is, I guess, Farfetch. And Farfetch already has a partnership with Chanel to do stuff in store, but maybe at long last, Chanel's just going to have to give in. And um, mm-hmm. if they want to even maintain some modicum of of the kind of sales that they do, you know, more than 10 billion euros in sales um, every year, if they're going to try to maintain that, they're going to have to do something. That's going to be very interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. The other thing Indeed. I thought would be interesting to talk about was the... The idea of quiet luxury. So the last time there was a recession, um, there was the there was a you know the rise of kind of a quiet luxury or kind of more mm. understated luxury that became kind of de rigueur as people didn't want to walk around with you know really bold over the top um, fashion. They wanted to be more understated about it, and we've we've come through quite a maximalist period in fashion with brands like Gucci and others that have had more embellishment and decoration and color. Um, I also wonder perhaps if, again, we might start shift towards a more understated, quiet approach. What do you think? I think it's a, I think it's very possible. I mean, look, the, the condition of the average consumer has not changed significantly since the last financial crisis. This we know. I mean, this is just statistically true that the, the the life and livelihood and condition of the average person out there on the street has not changed dramatically. Their wages are not dramatically different, uh, even if we account for inflation. Their um, their assets are not significantly different. I'm here. I'm talking about not not the 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 one percent or the top ten percent, but but just the average consumer. Um, and so uh, we know that you know they don't have any more savings put away than they might have ten or eleven years ago on average. So uh, I think that the pain, if we go into a deep recession on the other side of the coronavirus, I think that the pain endured could be more significant and even more widespread than we saw uh, through the financial crisis. 
So will the rich be more inclined to want to keep it low key? Uh, yeah, probably, you know, and there's a lot of, um, we also know that there's a potentially a lot more social kind of moral outrage out there uh, today about the rich than there might have been in 2005. You know, uh, the, the the financial crisis of 2007-8 was sort of the, that was the catalyst for a lot of the uh, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of how we have put this 1% under the microscope, you know, since then. So, yeah, I think there could be certainly this a flight to quiet luxury, as you say. Yeah. Um, I've just been like perusing our company Slack channel and um, our editorial team is saying that they've been, there's some reports that, you know, people who've been purchasing subscription or rental services for fashion are pausing their subscriptions or their memberships because people are working from home so they don't need to 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 rent clothes anymore so like i guess the the overall impact of this we're just gonna have to it's like you and i speculating about it right now as it's all happening is it's a bit mm -hmm. hard but it will be very interesting to watch so as we look ahead doug and, and I, know, I know you advise lots of very very important retailers and have the ears of lots of important retail executives like what are you advising companies to do at a time like this like how should our industry be preparing itself to kind of brace for what's to come well you know interestingly what we see time and time again and i mean i i you know specific advice would would of course depend on the brand and the retailer and the positioning and you know their market category etc but i mean what we know in general is this in times of significant transition in times of significant crisis um and, and we can point to virtually any recession or or any major uh kind of block that we've encountered in the market what we know is that there are also times where amazing reinvention can take place. Um, you know, necessity really and truly is the mother of invention. And so I, I encourage companies in times like this, knowing that most of your competitors are going to be recoiling, they're going to be um, slashing their budgets, they're going to be cutting their payrolls, they're going to be closing, uh, you know, what they regard as non-essential stores, in essence, retreating from the market, this is truly a time where you can take advantage of that. You can use this time to reinvent how you do what you do, to bring consumers new alternatives, new value, and in the process, potentially even reinvent your own brand. So I say don't retreat from these times. Be sensible, of course. Um, be, be prudent. But don't let innovation stop because this could be the window of opportunity uh, and I and I say that not in a cavalier way or in a mercenary way, but it, it simply is. It's a time where consumers are open to alternatives and your brand can be the one that brings those alternatives to them. And I guess the other thing on top of that is, you know, things that as a company you might have held as like longstanding, steadfast beliefs or assumptions. You might have to reevaluate those assumptions now and think differently about how you, you know, position your business, how you engage with your customers, because this change that we're going through, I mean, it could, in, in, in some respects, permanently shift the way we think about engaging uh, 
uh, with consumers. You know, some of them, you know, a lot of it might just shift a lot of behavior online that was just waiting to shift online. And so I think, you know, getting rid of some of those limiting beliefs and mindsets that are preventing your organization from keeping up with the innovation that's all the innovation that's already been happening in the market and the shifts in consumer behavior that have already been happening in the market. But now you just might not have a choice. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and so it really is. It's exa exactly that. It's a time to sort of question everything and to potentially come out of this on the other side with a with a stronger value proposition. I mean, ironically, um, I guess it was just a few days ago um, or a few weeks ago, perhaps uh, Burlington, Burlington Co-Factory announced that it was actually killing its e-commerce business so it could focus on its stores. It said, we just don't believe that our business lends itself to online commerce. Now, I wonder if they're rethinking that decision today, you know? So you're right, you have to stay flexible and liquid in your thinking. Uh, look at these times as being strategically important uh, for the brand. Don't retreat from your, from your market and certainly don't retreat from your customer. Don't try and take value away from your customer just because you're feeling some short-term pain. If anything, you wanna, you wanna love your customers even more during these times. Indeed. And this is an ever-developing, fast-moving story. I mean, even in the time that you and I have been on this call, Doug, um, the Dow Jones index is now up a thousand points today and has surged back. So this, for me, just, just the market going up and down like this just underscores that no one really understands fully what's happening. And we're all going to have to pay very close attention and be flexible and be agile and find a way of navigating all of this. And I'm really grateful for your input and advice and your um, sage um, predictions. Let's, let's see what happens. Thanks, thanks for taking the time uh, to speak to us, Doug. It's always a pleasure, Imran. Thank you. All right. And um, that's all from us this week on this very special edition of the BOF podcast. I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. We're all thinking about you all around the world as we go through this as a global community. We look forward to hearing from you and to keeping in touch with you as this coronavirus crisis continues to develop. You can stay tuned to BOF on our social media channels, on our website, and of course here on the podcast where we're going to regularly talk to experts around the world to help us navigate through the crisis. So that's all for us this week. Stay tuned for more from the BOF podcast next week. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, biannual special print editions, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education.